Okay, please turn to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. I'll be reading verses 4 through 15. Luke 8, 4 through 15. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to hear him, He said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he cried out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, Jesus said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the Word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the Word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Blessed is the reading of the Lord Jesus' holy Word. Father, Give us all ears to hear the Word of God. And in exposition, let it shine forth to our minds and our hearts clearly. I beg of you. To the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have been in the Christian community long enough, then you have seen someone who comes into the church world with a profession of faith in Christ, and they may have gone through a drastic life change. There's a zeal for the things of the Lord and for when the music plays and the hands lift 
But then, months later, or even years later, trials of life hit. The loss of a loved one, a spouse just flips out and destroys the marriage. Their expectations of what they thought their life was to be don't come to fruition. And they slowly have their zeal come to a halt and pull away. And eventually they're gone from the life of the church. They're in the world and they want nothing more to do with Christ. Or there are others who, they don't leave the church world and all that altogether. Things are different though. As time goes by, they kind of reorganize their life in such a way where religion has a part. And they go to church on Sundays if it doesn't interfere with something better that week. But the point is that they have become, and it's clear, they're much more focused on the things of this life. The toys, and pleasures, and riches. And as Jesus would go on to say, you'll know them by what they worship. Why you can't worship money and what it buys and play and fun. And God at the same time. See, for these people, the the idea of daily being desperate to fight, to desire God, and to fight against their sinful inclinations, even though the church goes, it makes no sense, really, to them when they hear such talk. So, how are we to understand such people? Some people say, well, they were never saved. Okay. Others say they were saved and they lost their salvation. The problem with that is that there's just too many texts in Scripture that refute that idea. That when Jesus saves a person and He really brings them to Himself in new birth, He said, I will lose none of them. And I can go on and on and on about texts. That answer doesn't seem to work. Others would say, no, they're saved and they're still saved. They're just carnal Christians. You know that word? We used to use that a lot in Christianity a couple decades ago because of the King James Version. But They profess Christ. They walked an aisle. They asked Jesus to come into their heart. Whether they go to church or don't go to church. What they love in the world or not love. Or whether they care about lost people or even their own selves towards God. It doesn't really make any difference because, you know, uh, we proclaim them to be a Christian because they said a prayer. That clearly doesn't stand up through tons of Scripture in the New Testament about the evidence of faith in Christ that saves. Or, 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 or as the Hebrew writer put it, look, if you're true, God will discipline you. 
And that discipline, because you're his kid, you're an authentic kid, will bring eventually back to repentant faith and you'll see those evidence. But as the Hebrew writer says, if you're without discipline, you don't belong to him. You've never been born again. In our passage this morning, Jesus explains what's happening in these types of people. He says that the preaching of the gospel, no less with the greatest preacher of all time, himself, much less all of his under-shepherds throughout the centuries, the, the preaching of the gospel produces two kinds of people. Because it exists, and it's produced a church, and the gospel goes out, that gospel creates things in human beings. In one, there are the persons where it creates a false, inauthentic, superficial, non-saving faith. And then in the other, persons who have a genuine, saving faith in Jesus. And he goes on to say, the problem isn't with me, Jesus is a preacher. This is his point. Oh, he's preaching to the crowd and he goes to his disciples and tells them. He says, the problem is not with the Word of God. The problem is with the soil. The hearers. The hearts of people. See, in our day, and I went through this in seminary, we're preaching like I'm doing right now and like it comes in many different forms was really being pounded is we the day of preaching is over you know we really got to figure out other methods to get to the word of god because it doesn't seem to really be creating much change in people's lives by preaching and the answer to that is preaching starting even with jesus yeah never statistically was very effective but neither has anything else concerning true salvation been effective. And the reason are the words of Jesus like this in Matthew 7.14. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And so Jesus would go on to say in Luke, Therefore, strive to enter through the narrow Door for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and they will not be able. So when the Word of God throughout the ages and this morning is preached and the way of life is shown, here's the imperative. Strive to enter. That's at the core of what our text is about this morning. Our text is about hearing. It's about how human beings could be listening and hearing preaching of the Gospel and yet not hear. It's about those who think they hear 
And thus they respond in various ways. But they have not heard. And so, the parable of the soils, probably a better term for it than the sower, because it's really about the soils and not the seed. The, the parable of the soils is all about how we human beings, professing Christian church members or not, how we go on in our lives watching and preparing the soil of our heart day after day before the hearing of the Word of God. So, let's look. Start with verse 4. Luke writes, And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to hear Him, He said in a parable, Okay, stop. Massive, huge crowd is in front of Jesus. And Jesus did not get confused over the difference between popularity and fruitfulness. When large crowds gather into the church, we kind of easily tend to say, Whoa, what a blessing of God! It might be. And He does do that. And He is merciful. And we pray that we want Him to do that throughout the earth constantly. But, it's not necessarily a blessing of God. See, Jesus knew that the, this large crowd here and day after day, the crowds that He had, did not equal saving faith in them. They just were not the same. He knew that in His preaching there are different responses. And crowds keep coming. And He knew that the only response that really mattered was when the Word went down into the heart and produced saving faith. See, that's why Jesus did not get all frantic. I can't believe it. Okay, I'm looking for this kind of response, and they're not. Okay, I get some of them. I got you guys. Okay, I got the twelve, and maybe got 180 over here. I got these women from last week, but there's there's thousands of people, and I'm not getting the right response. He didn't start to panic and call his leadership group, the twelve, together and say, "Look, guys, we got to brainstorm on different ways to reach the people now, because evidently my open air preaching of the gospel and of the kingdom of God isn't quite working." It's not what he did. Instead, he told a parable. He told the parable of the four soils, of the four kinds of human beings, of the four kinds of human hearts in hearing the gospel. And so he says, So the sower went out to sow, and there's one, two, three. Here's four different examples. And then he cries out. Let him who has ears to hear. Now, they all, they all hear him say that. Let him hear. And that means it's not enough to have ears hanging on the side of your head and to speak the language of the preacher like Jesus with Aramaic or in English this morning 
Everyone's got these ears. He's talking about, he who has ears, a different kind of an ear. An ear of the heart. A spiritual ear. This is the ear that hears in the preaching of the Word of God, of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It hears it as precious. It's true as the treasure in the field. That's the kind of hearing Jesus is calling for in this text this morning. It's about hearing. Now, and then, in order for Jesus to stress that point about how we sinful people hear or don't hear the Gospel, we read one of the most stunning two verses in the Bible. Verses 9 and 10 of Luke 8. And when His disciples asked Him, what this parable meant, He said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables so that seeing they may not see. And hearing they may not understand. To those whom He's chosen, He says the mystery, the secret of the kingdom of God is opened to them. And He gives them the gift of understanding. That's what it says at the beginning of verse 10. To you, to you has been given. You got a gift. What? The, the mystery, the understanding of the kingdom of God. But then he says, the second part of verse 10, not you, my disciples, the chosen, this is the context, the disciples came to him. And he will have disciples throughout the ages. Not disciples, but others. He says, the reason I speak in parables, now, he didn't just give a result here. He says, here's the purpose I do it. And this is stunning. And in Greek, it is purpose. It's a hint clause, if that's helpful. He says, the reason I speak in parables for the others is so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. I may come back to that more next week. Let me just, I tell you, now, but 20 years ago this summer, I walked into my first 
seminary class, right after graduating college, very first class, New Testament theology. And for that class, in that summer, I had to do an exegetical paper. That means a paper, look at a text of Scripture and just do, read everything you possibly can, diagram it in Greek and everything. And anyone who's ever seen anything in history on this thing, and the passage that I had was the parallel passage of this in Mark. And I just remember, because all my teachers for 10 years as a Christian basically taught me the exact opposite of what the text seemed to say. Anyway, so this, I may come back to it next week. Here's the point at this point. The issue is about hearing. So that hearing, Jesus preached the word in parables. He says, this is what's stunning. I do it so that they won't understand. Okay. Then Jesus explains, goes on to explain, what is happening, how this works, what's, what's happening in those, pe- those people who don't really hear and in those who really do hear. And that's what the parable of the sower is. So, start with verse 11 at this point. Now he says, the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. Okay. He says, the seed is the preaching that he's doing in his ministry immediately and then subsequently in all of its various forms through the ages. So here he is. He says, the seed. Sower sows the seed. That represents the preaching of the Word of God. The, the word is, as the Apostle Paul would later write in 2 Timothy, all Scripture, Hebrews, text, prophets, Old Testament, and now the New Testament, the written Word of God in its various forms, particularly coming through oral preaching, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the messenger of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So it is, he says, the seed is the God-breathed Word, the Holy Scripture. So, as we hear now, Jesus in this text unfold the parable. Don't miss it. Don't say, oh, look at that and those people. It is demanding of the church, particularly, to constantly examine our hearts. And to hate the non-hearing, dulled sense of our soul that we may sense. Hate it and fight it and pray about it. And God, change, fan of flame, that desire, O God. Now, as we go to the parable, when Jesus mentions four types of soils, He's not talking about percentages. Okay, 25% of humanity, here they are, 25, 25. I don't think that's what He's doing at all. He's, what he's doing, he's saying the gospel, the word of God going forth, has four general responses from human beings. That's what it's about. And these four soils are to be divided up into two.
two categories, not four. The first three go in one category. The last one goes in the other. The first category are the responses of those who are not saved by it. And the final soil, the good soil, produces the fruit is the salvation of those people. The first soil is the soil that just, you hear the gospel, there's just no pretense. They just don't accept it. No thank you, please. The second soil, there's some change. There's response. There's joy. There's like, yeah! And it proves not to be real in the long run as it dies out. And the third soil may even go longer. It makes more progress. And then, But eventually, time will tell. It's choked out. Dead. And the fourth soil is Jesus saying, these are the people who are hearing the Gospel and they're born again. There's fruit of My Spirit in them that has changed their heart into good soil. Okay? So let's go to it. Look at your Bibles. We'll look at one soil at a time. First, the first soil, verse 5. Jesus says, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Okay. Got to get this. All of his listeners living in first century Israel, Palestine, they knew exactly what he's talking about. Okay. See, the fields, all the fields, they had pathways like roads where people traveled going right through them. And so through that traveling road, it, you ever go hiking? It becomes very hard-packed dirt. And so, as the sower in his field, he would have a bag around his neck and the seeds are in front and he's throwing the seeds down the row and obviously a few of those seeds will constantly fall and lay on the road. They're not going to go down into the dirt. It's too hard. People will come by and keep walking and trample it. It's a pathway. And of course, birds love seeds if you ever tried to plant grass. So, that's what happens. Now, he interprets this in verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Heard what? The context. The Word of God. Then, the devil comes and takes away the Word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So, pathway. He's, Jesus, he has this picture of a rock hard heart. The seed will just lay there and the devil will steal it. Now, for Jesus, the devil is not metaphorical like a lot of people use it. He means a real, personal, spiritual being. Jesus is saying that the souls of men and women throughout the world. There is a constant warfare and battleground for that soul. And Satan is the enemy of God and of people's souls. And he'll steal the precious gospel. 
so that it won't bear fruit in that life. See, who are these people? First, these people, this is the hearing of the word. There are human beings who have never heard the gospel. Okay? He's talking about ones who have. So these are people who are fortunate enough to drive down the road and flip through the radio or something, and they start to hear a sermon, and they listen for 20 minutes. Okay. they got a friend, they got a neighbor, they got family members who try to sit down with them and tell them the news of Jesus Christ. Uh, they may be invited and come to church. They may have grown up in church. They, they hear the Word. And it just bounces right off them. It bounces off their heart. They may do things with it in their mind, but, but here, he says, when it comes to the heart, Satan comes and steals it. That's what he's about. Satan is constantly working on ways to distract sinful people on the way to the grave so that they don't hear with ears to hear and believe and be saved. So he'll distract them with whatever will work. Religion, fun. He will infiltrate their minds like he's doing in our culture today with postmodern relativism. Religion, great. I love to hear the gospel. Because got a, I got a worldview. There's no such thing as truth, particularly religious truth. They're, oh, that is your truth. Jesus is true for you. I mean, to try to penetrate that heart, if, it, if, if there's something that doesn't happen with that rock-hard pathway soil, it's almost, well, it is impossible. That's why Paul said, the gospel is foolishness. To those who are perishing. See, the devil works hard to maintain basically good citizens in their worldly sense of, I'm a good person. Why? So that they never, ever come to appreciate the value of the death of Jesus Christ for their sin. The second soil. Start with verse 6. And here, the soil describes the shallow, impulsive heart. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Now, let me quote from one commentator, Daryl Bach, just for a moment to get a picture of what these people are clearly hearing because they understand the farming culture that they lived in. He writes, A second portion of the seed falls on rock. That's a thin layer of ground with limestone right under the topsoil. It's a condition that's common in the Palestinian hill country. This is not a field with rocks. It's not what he's talking about. But it's a base of rock under the soil. In its unplowed field, such land is not easily spotted. At first, all looks fine. 
as the plant sprouts up and grows. But eventually, the plant withers. And Luke attributes it to a, law, a lack of moisture. And we'll see with Jesus' interpretation. To, there's no room for the roots to grow. So it's just going to wither and die. Now, in verse 13, Jesus interprets it. And the one on that rock, on the rock, are those who when they hear the Word of God, they receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. This is the person who maybe crisis in life and whatever else or fun time at youth group impulsively says, yeah, I'll say yes to Christianity. I, I, I like community and the church and my life hasn't been going so good anyway. I'll, I'll, do, I'll do that religious thing. And at first they seem very zealous and in the band, going to Bible studies. Wow. Love. The community that the Gospel is created and have new friends. But then sometime down the road, Jesus says, trials hit. Life smacks them upside the head. And they're gone. Persecution comes. But they're gone because there's nothing really down there. There's no root system. Their joy that was there, their zealousness that was there, was built on emotion or on the fringe benefits of church life. But it wasn't built on the truth of the person of Jesus Christ. Of the Eternal God becoming man and dying for their sin that they know they're guilty of. It wasn't built on at the cross. God poured out His judgment that was toward me on Him and raised Him from the dead. It was built on something else. And so they fall away. When they hear the Word, they receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. The third soil. Look at verse 7. Jesus says, And some seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Let me appeal to Daryl Bach's commentary one more time. Quote, The third group of seed falls in good ground, but it shares the ground with greedy neighbors, thorns. These Palestinian weeds can grow up to six feet tall, and they often bud with flowers of various colors, red and blue or yellow. They also 
takes so much nourishment from the ground that nothing else can grow with them. Now Jesus interprets it in verse 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear the Word of God. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. So, it's as if if Satan can't get the pains of life, the persecutions of life, the traumas of life, to steal the Word and not save a person, well then, he'll try prosperity. Let everything go really smooth. Let them have their worldly desires. See, this person wants the best of both worlds. I want my religion, I want a little security ticket, but uh, I want to live for the pleasures and sensualities that this world can bring. He professes to believe in Christ according to Jesus, but he has not actually been raised spiritually from the dead. Now, this is not, this person could be poor or rich. Jesus' point is, well, look at it. Ooh, you got too much stuff. That's not his point at all. His point is, you'll see, you plant the seed, you're going to have to wait for a couple months, and oh, look, it's coming up, and eventually it just doesn't bear fruit. It would happen, it took time. But, you see, this point, he says here, is what is their drive? What is their focus? He says that is what proves to kill the seed of eternal life in the Word of God. Is it like Jesus said elsewhere and we said earlier? He says you can't serve two masters. You say because I don't like it. He just says it's impossible. It will be proof ultimately that you don't know what it is personally by new birth to have seen and heard Him. See, every every believer when we hear this, we are called to farm our soil. I mean, I don't know how else to take it. Okay, I'm in. Yeah, I am in. You should have assurance. He wants to bring assurance of salvation. And part of it is, ooh, weed the garden. When we start to see the thorns that want to tangle us of like the worries and the cares of life, sexual sin, pleasures of life, going after money, money, money brings me happiness. Instead of God gives it and meets needs and He does it even through giving you the ability to do hard work to earn it. We've got to pull the weeds constantly in our life. We must constantly, the way Peter said it. This is, look, it's a, this is, oh, hear this is so biblical. Desire the pure milk of the Word. He didn't say, okay, hold on. 
Everything else in life will tell you. You either desire something or not. I either like chocolate cake or I don't. I like steak or I don't. I like green beans or... No, it's not the way God works. If you're a professing believer and you say, I have no desire. I don't pick up my Bible. I don't pray. I don't even hear you when you preach. The Bible says, desire. And so the question is, there's a big part of life that when you don't desire something, do it! And it is amazing how you will start to desire. Every one of us married people ought to learn that. I don't desire to be nice! Do it! And you might find that you're being more nice to your spouse. There's something about that because we're commanded desire the pure milk of the word that thereby you may grow ooh, plant life grow unto salvation. That's why the Apostle John who was there that day when Jesus preached this parable and he's there when Jesus is explained well, well, decades later write to the church when he's an old man and plead with us church going people saying this do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride and possessions is not from the father but it's from the world So, the unifying core of those first three soils is that none of them bear fruit to perseverance. Some of them look promising. Jesus says the gospel will create human beings with professions of faith who look promising for a while. But, time Looking at the field will give evidence of what kind of soil it was. He who has ears to hear, he cries out, let him hear, let him be diligent to constantly look inward and ask, is my faith superficial or genuine? The sign of those who are being saved by Christ is that they will hear the Word of God. They will hear the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ in the Gospel that there is no other way to God. And without Him... God's justice in its horrific consequences hangs over you. They'll hear that and they will be compelled at the goodness and the great news that that is to them. That's what Jesus says here. Verse 8, And some seed fell into good soil and it grew And it yielded a lot more seeds, is what he's really talking about here. 
A hundredfold. You're going to get a lot of seeds out of that to plant next season. Verse 15. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the Word, hold it fast, means firm, in an honest and good heart. And they bear fruit with endurance. That's what he means by with patience. The good soil is created by God. It's right there in the context. We already saw it in verse 10. Disciples, your good soil, because to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. How blessed you are if your life revolves around hearing and getting it in your heart. That's the big question. When you hear, do you get it? Jesus says, when you hear, do you see it as the treasure in a field that you walked across? And you didn't own the field, so you buried it. You went home and you said, I'll sell everything I have in order to buy that field. Because that treasure is so good. So Jesus explained a real... Just, he gives us such insight in this parable to what's happening in the world, in the Gospel. I mean, I'll illustrate. Go ahead. You've got the same hotel. Two different men in two different rooms, same evening. Both of them pull out the drawer, grab the Holy Bible placed there by Gideon, lay in their bed, and they read... One man has his life utterly changed and altered for time and eternity. The other, eventually, nothing. You got Sunday morning, one sermon, three people over here, Wow, God so ministered to me through the seed, the Word of God. He was so penetrating what He's doing in my life and how that impacts this and that. Oh, man, is His Word good. And three other people over here, same sermon. Uh, They're bored out of their mind. What they got more of the sermon was the grocery list that they were going through. Or the football game that they're anticipating later that afternoon. Whether you have the best preacher in the world in Jesus Christ or one who's not so good but faithful to text, it's a soil issue. It's a soil issue. The reason Jesus speaks this parable 
and then explains the things he does to his disciples and ultimately to the church, therefore, is not just so that we can theoretically understand how the gospel is working in people's lives. That's true, but not just that. It's so that we would therefore be diligent in how we hear the Word of God throughout our life. This means prepare the soil of your hearts for every Sunday morning. Having the soil receptive to God as His Word is planted again and again. Having a receptive heart is the key to having ears that hear. They really hear the Word of God. My tongue is in my cheek. Only somewhat. Because some of you may need to prove this. Actually do what I'm going to say. And I'll be fine with it. It'll be worth it. Okay. Do a test. Do a scientific test. Six weeks. For the first three weeks, when it comes to Sunday morning, make sure you do not get more than four to six hours of sleep. Make sure your alarm does not go off too early. That it goes off just in time to frantically get out of bed and to shower and to groom and to rush out of the house or to rush the children and get them in there. And we parents, without you can't do that, without screaming. Break every law on the way to church because you know you want to try to make it. And then come in here and sit and do that for three straight weeks. And, and record for each Sunday the impact of the seed of the Word of God in all that we do here upon the soil of your heart. And leave that in the notebook. And then the next three weeks, make sure you get your eight or nine hours of sleep. Make sure the alarm goes off and that you get up with time enough to stroll to the shower and to groom and to prepare in order to quietly sit for 30 to 45 minutes with a Bible before the Lord praying, tilling the soil of your heart. And then that leaves you enough time to have to deal with children if you have them. And When should you leave? And you come to church. And then, I'm just going um, don't, to, I don't bet... But if I did, I would bet that the impact of how you hear and of what God is personally doing in your life on Sunday morning through the exposition of Scripture will be far different than the previous three weeks. You will find your worship deeper. We structure things here on Sunday morning. We pray and we sing, and we do public reading of Scripture, and we do all this with the Word of God, which is the sea, and all this too is worship. It's all worship. And 
preparatory, particularly for the centerpiece in the life of the church, in the exposition of Scripture. If we come in here without purposefully, actively meaning to be receptors of the Word, then to that degree, Satan as a bird will come and pick the Word of God out of your heart week by week. This text is a glorious encouragement from the Lord Jesus to fight against distractions. Fight to be attentive. And above all, when I say attentive, be open. This is what Jesus is saying. He, he who has ears to hear, be, give me ears today. Be open to the truth of the Word of God through the exposition of Scripture. Okay, hear me right. That does not mean be open and receive things uncritically from a pastor or a preacher. It doesn't mean mindless acceptance of what is said. Jesus Himself never demanded that. And therefore, no pastor in church history should ever demand that of people. But it means, even when an exposition, which by definition makes you have to think, if you want to really think through Scripture, you've got to be awake, you've got to be active. And it means, therefore, now, when the clarity of the meaning of the Bible in that text is seen clearly, and it may be a hard truth, it means... Welcome it. Welcome it. But it's exposing my sin. That's what I need constantly. That's what we all need. That is Jesus working. You hear it. Welcome it. Love it. Be worked on by it. Be, quote, those who, hearing the Word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Let's pray. Father, I have great confidence that You are lovingly working in particular private areas of each of us this morning through this Word. And we say, Oh God, continue to foment growth in our hearts of desiring Your Word and communion with You in minds that are awake on Sunday morning and Tuesday morning alone. Cause us to be those who draw near to You and realize, Jesus, yes, He's talking to me. 
when he says, he who has ears to hear, let, let him hear. So, oh, Father, thank you for the mercy of your word this morning that we have been privileged to be sprinkled upon us. And may it grow and produce a hundredfold fruit.